Hey, Post Reports listeners, it's Martine, your long-lost co-host. I'm jumping in before today's episode because I just want to tell you about our new investigative podcast. It's called The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop. And the first two episodes are out now, right now, in the world, there for you to listen. This podcast is about a mystery on the Caribbean island of Grenada that I have spent basically the last two years trying to solve. It's about missing remains, but it's also about revolution and the Cold War and the unanswered questions that the U.S. left behind 40 years ago. So that's all to say, I think it's a pretty interesting story, and I really hope you listen. Subscribe to The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop in your podcast app, and thank you so much. Okay, here's today's episode of Post Reports. The shelter I visited is in San Luis Potosi, a central Mexican city that's on the migrant route to many of the border cities. And it's a large, sprawling facility right next to the railroad tracks. Mary Beth Sheridan covers Mexico and Central America for The Post. This month, she visited a shelter housing migrants making their way north, hoping to seek asylum at the southern U.S. border. And it is just wildly overcrowded right now because of the number of migrants passing through Mexico. So the shelter director has had to convert practically every space possible into a sleeping area. We're entering an area where used to be a uh, basketball court. Ah, It was a basketball court. Now it's covered with uh, mattresses full of people resting. Geraldine Estrada is the coordinator for the migrant shelter in San Luis Potosí. The shelter is run by a Catholic charity, and it's really the only significant place that takes in migrants in the state along this very major migrant route to the northern border. This shelter was built to hold around 150 people. But these days, Geraldine has had to figure out how to squeeze 400 asylum seekers into the space. What Geraldine is saying is now it's a dormitory. It was the soccer and basketball court. But now, she says, because they're so packed, they had to put down some mattresses and cardboard. Geraldine isn't alone in trying to figure out how to accommodate large numbers of people migrating through Mexico. The number of migrants going through Mexico to seek asylum in the U.S. has climbed to a record high in the past few months. And Mexico's immigration system is struggling to keep up. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Monday, October 23rd. Today, a visit to a migrant shelter in central Mexico, one of many in the country where people are arriving from all over Latin America and other parts of the world, and where people are trying to figure out what comes next. My colleague Abba Batarai spoke with Mary Beth, and I'll let them take it from here. Mary Beth, we hear a lot about migration once people reach the U.S.-Mexico border, and also this becomes a big talking point in U.S. politics. But you're in Mexico, which is facing its own increase in the number of people migrating through the country. What can you tell us about what you're seeing there? 
Yeah, it's very interesting because Mexico was traditionally a country that was the origin of migrants going to the U.S. And then for a number of years, it was a transit country for Central American migrants. But what we're really seeing now is just an outpouring of migrants from all over the world. There's a significant increase in migrants coming from South America. And um, all these different nationalities kind of get funneled through Mexico. So the country is it's overwhelmed by the number of people who are trying to cross the country right now. And this is something that is also proving a crisis throughout the region. Costa Rica recently declared a state of emergency because of the large numbers of people crossing the country. And Panama has described this uh, influx as a national security concern. Is Mexico equipped to manage all of these people that are coming through its immigration system? You know, it's really not. Most of the migrant shelters in the country are run by religious groups, and they simply don't have the capacity to help all these people. Uh, in addition, the immigration system was really never built for an influx of this size. So it's really underfunded, very known for corruption, and it's really struggling as authorities confront what is this really significant number of people, up to 6,000 people a day crossing into Mexico. What is it that's driving so many of these people to migrate north through Mexico right now? Yeah, it's interesting. There's just a series of crises around the hemisphere that are driving this. You have the real meltdown of Venezuela's economy over the last couple of years. You have a real surge in narco violence in Ecuador. You have violence in Colombia. There's a tremendous, practically a collapse of the government in Haiti. And then you have the really lingering effects on the economies of the region from the pandemic. You see that particularly in Cuba. So there's just a real number of crises and, and you are increasingly seeing entire families come. Mexico did try to discourage some of these flows. For example, it imposed a uh, visa requirement on Venezuelans who were flying into the country last year. But what people have increasingly done is they've found other routes. For example, the Darien Gap, which is this truly frightening 60-mile stretch of jungle that goes from Colombia to Panama, full of snakes and difficult rivers and mountains, and there's criminals and so on. But this year, authorities are expecting around a half million people to cross through that very forbidding area because they are so desperate to get up into Central America and then head for Mexico and the U.S. Why is it that more families are coming to Mexico? You know, analysts really have different opinions on that. Some say it's a sign that people are fleeing crises, that these are refugees, not simply folks looking for a better job. Other people point out that neither the U.S. nor Mexico uh, is really allowed under their law to detain uh, children or families for any amount of time, and that that serves as an incentive to families to come, because they realize that once they get to Mexico or the U.S., they will likely be allowed to pursue their asylum claims and not locked up. Now, as you recall, President Trump tried to take on that idea by separating parents and children and prosecuting the parents, but that was widely seen as 
both ineffective and, and people were outraged that children were being pulled away from their parents. And there's a recent court settlement with the Biden administration in which they have agreed to not do that at all. Can you tell me about some of the conversations you've been having with the people who have made their way to Mexico? Yeah, what was really striking to me was the desperation of the people who were making this journey. For example, we met a Venezuelan woman called Adriana who traveled with her three children. They had very little money and they did everything to move along the route. They walked, they took minibuses and they crossed the Darien Gap. She was pregnant and she told me that it was so arduous that after coming out of the Darien Gap, she actually lost the baby. Adriana said she miscarried after walking so much and then sleeping on the cold ground, crossing fast-moving rivers and climbing mountains. It's a very difficult crossing, she says. Adriana had also heard about the Mexican government's plan to start deporting migrants back to Venezuela. The Biden administration says it's going to do the same thing. Venezuelans represent one of the largest groups of people crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Adriana said this policy change is a blow for her and her family. She said if they're deported, it'll be very sad because they're hoping to work, have a better quality of life, and study. She said being sent back to Venezuela means starting from zero. You know, I also uh, talked to a young guy from Venezuela. His name is Luis David Lugo, a 23-year-old. He was migrating alone, and uh, he was sitting at the edge of the basketball court wearing a a Chicago Bulls T-shirt. He said he was detained a couple of weeks ago as he was trying to board a train going north. Uh, Mexican authorities sent him back to the border with Guatemala. Then he simply began the journey all over again. He said he hopes to help his young family back home. He has a son who just turned three. So after people have stopped by the shelter, where are they going next? Well, the shelter in San Luis Potosí is located right next to the railroad tracks. So every day you see people leaving the shelter, clutching their bags of clothing or some food, and trying to figure out if they can get onto the train, if the uh, train will be one that is heading north rather than south, if the train will stop. So we're listening to the train coming at the crossing in San Luis Potosí, but the migrants who've been here waiting don't seem to be preparing to board it. Last night, a number of people were able to get on the train, but they're telling me that now there's uh, the trains are moving very fast, so it's difficult to get on board. Some of the trains now, uh, because they're aware that migrants are trying to climb on board, they're moving faster than usual through some of the crossings or stopping and different crossings to do their technical changes and so on. But at the shelter, every day, people are talking about 
the trains and and uh, what their possibilities are because the trains provide a way of getting to the border that's fast, it's free, and uh, it, it's more available than long-distance buses because Mexico has been trying to demand that people taking long-distance buses provide documents. So the trains are have become increasingly popular, but they're very dangerous. You can fall off them or uh, lose a limb quite easily. How have politicians in Mexico, namely the president, attempted to address the situation? President Andrés Manuel López Obrador is trying to balance a somewhat compassionate approach to the migrants with what are increasing pressures. Obviously, the U.S. has leaned on him to try to uh, prevent people from overwhelming the U.S. border. I think he's also very aware that the number of migrants can overwhelm communities. I mean, there's people now sleeping in the streets of major cities because uh, shelters are overwhelmed. So the president has deployed more security forces to try to detain migrants, and in particular, tried to keep them from getting on the trains or, or pulling them off the tops of these trains to attempt to discourage that. He held a meeting last weekend with leaders from 11 countries in the region, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean to come together because uh, he feels like Mexico needs to come up with some better solution to what's going on. Have his efforts so far been effective? Well, I think what Mexico has done is made it a little more difficult for people to reach the U.S. border. But frankly, Mexico has not been able to do much in terms of deporting people, in part because it doesn't really have the money. And a number of legal decisions recently have made it more difficult for Mexico to detain and process undocumented migrants. So basically, Mexico, uh, under a recent court ruling, can only detain undocumented migrants for up to 36 hours. It's really not enough time to process them and send them back to their countries. So what it does is it uh, puts them, typically those who are detained on buses or on planes, and takes them down to the south of Mexico, to the border of Guatemala, with papers uh, telling them to leave the country. But there really isn't uh, a lot of enforcement. And so a lot of migrants simply turn around and begin the journey again. After the break, what President Biden is doing about the record number of migrants arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. 
monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So Mary Beth, we've seen record numbers of people transitioning through Mexico, in many cases joining the flow of Mexicans who are already seeking asylum in the United States. How is President Biden addressing these record high numbers of people seeking to cross into the country? So basically, back in the spring, the program that had been in place during the pandemic, Title 42, was ended. And that allowed U.S. authorities to rapidly expel people who were coming, seeking asylum. In its place, the Biden administration has created this program in which asylum seekers can apply for an appointment with the U.S. authorities via an app. And the idea was to offer them sort of the carrot of making those appointments, making their claims in an orderly way. And the stick was if they didn't follow the rules, there'd be much stiffer penalties in terms of um, deporting them and uh, barring them from re-entering the U.S. The thing is that the demand for these appointments has been far greater than the supply. So you do have a lot of people in Mexico waiting for these appointments, trying to get the appointments, and some of them finally losing hope and just going to the border. Uh, The Biden administration has created centers in Central America and in Colombia. It's trying to create one in Mexico to handle some of these petitions, asylum petitions. But so far, they have not really gotten up and running to the point where they're able to address a lot of these demands. What have the migrants that you've met in Mexico told you about how they feel about the Biden administration's immigration policy? It's interesting. I think there's, uh, on the one hand, a lot of hope that through this app, they actually will have possibilities to present their asylum claims. So in that respect, it's seen as positive. I think there's a lot of fear now that the Biden administration has said it will start to deport Venezuelans back to their country. It reached an agreement with the authoritarian government. Uh, Needless to say, that is very discouraging to migrants who have, in many cases, spent practically all their money trying to get to the U.S. I also think there's a certain amount of frustration with the app that uh, the U.S. has created because it's sometimes buggy. And basically, a lot of people say they've been trying and trying and trying to get an appointment and uh, have been unable to do so. I'd like to go back to Geraldine Estrada, the shelter manager. Did she tell you what she's hoping to see next? Does she have a plan for whether she keeps seeing people coming into the shelter in these huge numbers? So she's actually reached the point in recent weeks where she's had to close the shelter to new arrivals. It's been really an extraordinary moment for that shelter. She is hoping that they can cope with the number arriving, but Geraldine says the shelters are at the point of collapse, unable to offer more. She said the shelters are clinging to the hand of God. Thanks so much for joining us, Mary Beth. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Mary Beth Sheridan covers Mexico and Central America for The Post. She spoke with my colleague, Abba Batarai. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Talkoff. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. And remember to subscribe to The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop, 
a new podcast from Martine Powers. The first two episodes are out right now, and I've already binged them. They are so good. Martine takes you along on her reporting journey as she tries to unravel this four-decade-long mystery. And it's full of political intrigue, family histories, and more. So subscribe to The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And trust me, you won't want to miss one. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.